Welcome once again to another podcast of These Present Days. Let's open in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for speaking to us through your word and also a bunch of different other ways, Father, that you speak to us on a daily. Um, sometimes it's, it's almost like we can sense you winking at us or nodding to us or nudging us a little bit um, through life that goes on all around us or through situations in life that are being reported and... Uh, we're reading it and stuff like this, and it's almost like behind it is a wink from heaven. And Father, thank you for communicating to us in all these different ways, especially now, because of the world that we once knew isn't the same anymore, and it's not ever going to go back to what it was, because this is a run-up to your return. And I thank you, Lord God, for opening eyes and ears and hearts today. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. So, the title of this is Expect the Unexpected. Expect the Unexpected. This is a, a, a message that God stirred up in me today because of personal things that I've been faced with and things like that that kind of surprised me a little bit. And something that's unexpected has the element of surprise attached to it as well. And so... This is probably overdue because of what we've gone through for the last two and a half, almost three years now, and it's still coming. It's still happening. You see, we're, we're seeing things in the news coming up in, in all these different areas, you know, like who expected Russia to invade Ukraine? Who expected it when we haven't had for years and years and years, like it was back in the ancient days, where, con where, where countries were trying to conquer other countries if, for no reason except to take their land and, and, to, and to increase the size of their country. Um, we fought back against uh, what happened when we were attacked by Japan, who was um, aligned with Germany in World War II. And so we ended up being pulled into the war because we were attacked first and we're defending ourselves as a nation and stuff like this. And Germany, you know, they, did, they didn't start trying to conquer nations. They were trying to push an agenda of Nazism and that superior race mentality and the extermination of six million Jewish people. And then it went into other countries nearby. It went into Hungary and other places, set up camps and stuff. And we haven't had this kind of a thing happen where, like in the days of Alexander the Great, or back in the days of the Roman Empire, where they conquered the whole entire known world, or back in the days of Genghis Khan, to where he conquered the known world in the East as far as he could. Nations just were trying to get bigger. Nations just trying to get richer and stronger. And so they were conquering. And, and But... Now, today, in the 21st century, who saw that coming? Russia attacked Ukraine and is still attacking Ukraine. And millions of people have fled Ukraine. And hundreds of thousands of people have died in Ukraine. And Russia is getting beat back, you know, quite often, too. I mean, they're putting up a good fight. And nobody's jumping in to stop it. Who expected that? Um, the stock market fell billions and billions of dollars worth of stock in the Twitter world. You know, when Elon Musk, out of nowhere, wanted to buy Twitter after he became a member of the board and bought into it, bought, you know, uh, some billion, billions of dollars worth of shares and went on the board of directors and, and he started spouting off about how he wants to 
bring back the freedom of speech thing. And so all these people that are in the cancel culture mentality that are in that department in Twitter, they're panic-stricken right now. They're trying to bring in a counter person to try to counter this, and the stock market is plunging as we speak. Who saw that coming? Another unexpected thing. And so we have unexpected things happening all over the place, you know, to where it, people are getting pretty brazen, you know, in this country of ours, to where they are standing up for corrupt things and allowing that to go on and even trying to defend that. Whereas if anybody tries to stop some corruption, and I'll put it to you like this, I'll put it mildly. Grooming little kids about their sexuality, uh, kindergarten through third grade, that should be a no-brainer that you don't do that, that you don't have that um, allowed in your public school system. And when they stopped that in the state of Florida, the governor signed a bill that vetoed it and killed it. Um, Disney protested, of all people. Disney has been known for nurturing little kids for 100,000 years, it seems like. And all of a sudden, who this place, like the Pied Piper of children, Disney is revolting against that. They want the teachers to have the freedom to groom kids for a change of sexual life. It's like unbelievable. Who expected that? Nobody. And when the state stood up to them, Disney's stock fell. Disney's stock has been plunging. You see, the stock market is, is built this way. It's on, a, it's on a precarious pinnacle, a precarious pinnacle, that the wind blows too strong one way or the other, and all of a sudden it gets shaky. And so things like this can change in a heartbeat, unexpected. Who expected mandates on masks? Who expected mandates on, on uh, the jab, you know, getting the vaccination? Who expected the shutdown of a whole country? Who expected this Wuhan virus, you know, to do the damage that it did? And I'm not so sure about the facts on that because we've, we've caught the media. I mean, who expected the, the media that's supposed to report the news to be a propaganda organization, an arm of, of one of the political parties? Who expected that? And so you see, life is full of unexpected things. And if you're hung up on the fact that I may have stepped on your favorite political party's toes for a second there, get over yourself. It goes on both sides. The re Republican or Democrat doesn't make any difference. People are people everywhere. And people that are in fallen conditions and are not walking upright before God Almighty and do not acknowledge God and do not have a fear of God, they're going to make stupid decisions for the rest of the masses all the time. And we're going to be faced with unexpected consequences. I mean, consequences, that's a strange word in this day and age because they don't think things through. When they put all of a sudden something in place, they don't think things through. I mean, we didn't need to wreck the economy. Looking back with hindsight, you know, it happened in 2020, and 2020 is supposed to stand for hindsight. And so we look back at 2020 in real hindsight right now, and we didn't need to shut the whole dang thing down. And people lost all their businesses and jobs and money and economy suffered, and we haven't even made a comeback. We're not even close to comeback yet. I mean, we're worse now because of present administration, unexpected um, things that they have decided to do. And the people that are in charge that are elected people, I'm pretty sure the people having buyer's remorse a little bit of electing some of these people that are in there 
that are doing things that are wrecking our country and what our country stood for at one time. And our country has never been perfect. We're not saying that it has been. And our country isn't solid racism. We're not saying that either, but people are saying that. Some people are saying that, that we're dirty, we're corrupt. We need to, we need to tear this thing down and start from scratch. And we don't. We don't. You see, most of those cries are coming from people that want one of two things. They want to have power themselves, or they want to, they're, they're afraid, they're scared. They don't know how to, how to handle unexpected things unless they're in control, but they don't know how to handle this. And so they just keep making a bunch of noise and protests and everything, you know, to try to get something better instead of learning what you need to do to make it through unexpected things. Because life is full of that. People that you know have died unexpectedly. Expectedly, too. You know, people that got old, your relatives that got old, your grandfather, grandmother, people like that unexpectedly, they might have died and had no sickness, no diagnosis of anything. I had a relative that did that. My dad had nothing wrong with him. He collapsed one day and died the next. Um, Yeah, but people that have suffered with sickness for a long time, there's an expectation that they could go and stuff. But then how about young people just all of a sudden dying for no good reason? And older people that are still healthy dying for no good reason. Unexpected, unexpected, unexpected. Um, in California, we're expecting an earthquake. They've been telling us for years there's going to be an earthquake. There's going to be a big one, a major one, a, a mega earthquake. We haven't had it yet. I mean, people used to store all the water in their closets and all the blankets and everything like this and, you know, solar this and solar that so they can keep things charged up. And most people aren't sitting on a stockpile ready for the earthquake. Most people kind of like use this stuff by now, the first aid um, kit that they got at Costco or whatever, they probably cracked into it a few times to get the hydrogen peroxide and Band-Aids out and things like this. And so we are not really ready because if you're expecting the unexpected, that means you have to be ready. And it could still startle you because it could come so suddenly like Jesus' return and you're waiting for it and you're wanting it and... and uh, happy for it, but are you really ready for it? Let's read some scriptures. I'm going to have you open your Bible if you're reading along with me to Matthew. 27. Talk about Jesus on the cross. He went on the cross at 9 o'clock in the morning to start beating him, and then they nailed him to the cross, and three hours later, at 12 o'clock noon, the sun went completely black, and it stayed that way for three hours, where you couldn't see your hand in front of your face. It was eerie. And in 27th chapter of Matthew, verses 45 and 46, it says this. For three hours beginning at noon, a sudden and unexpected darkness came over the earth. And at three o'clock, Jesus shouted with a mighty voice in Aramaic, Eli, Eli, Lama Sabathani. That is, my God, my God, why have you deserted me? That was from his humanity. He could feel God's presence and the Holy Spirit's presence left him because he just then became sin. He just then absorbed what he said all along he came to do. 
and that was to take mankind's sin and punishment for sin upon himself and die the death that was due mankind. And this is what led to his death. He couldn't die until he became sin. His body was immortal until a transaction between his father, our heavenly father, acting as the high priest in the Old Testament, where he gave instructions to the priest, the high priest, to take a scapegoat once a year for the nation of Israel and lay your hands on the head of the scapegoat and pronounce the sins of your nation. And he would pronounce a long list of the sins of the nation on the head of the scapegoat. Then they would kill another goat right next to him and spread the blood of that goat on the scapegoat and then release the scapegoat into the wilderness where the scapegoat was ripped to shreds. And that was to absolve them for another calendar year of their sin. Well, Jesus was the Lamb of God that was planned from the foundation of the world to be a sacrifice for our sins, to bring mankind back into relationship with Jesus. And so this is unexpected, though. It's unexpected darkness, because people didn't expect it to be dark at noon, and so it caught them off guard. Unexpected darkness. You see, right now, we're living in the most technological age that mankind has ever experienced. I mean, the information highway is like 85 lanes wide. When it first started back in the late 80s and early 90s, the information highway was probably like a four-lane freeway in, in California. But now it's got so many lanes, it's not even, there's even underground webs and stuff like this, the dark web and blah, 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 all this stuff. And we are living in such archaic, primitive mentality in the same in the same time we're taking and drawing a breath in the technological circus of our 21st century that has become i mean there is no limit on what they're able to do now and we're getting closer and closer to that whole tower of babel story in the bible where god's going to come down and scramble the languages because people are they're communicating so fast and furious and all over the place. And what we have in our midst right now are kind of expected, you know, like um, breakthroughs, expected discoveries, expected, you know, pioneering of different frontiers. But they're finding things unexpectedly still. That element of surprise is still embedded in the very fabric of life itself. And so it says, at three o'clock, Jesus shouted with a mighty voice, why have you forsaken me to God? Because the darkness that came upon him, or came upon the land, was a darkness that God allowed, because God slipped back. He pulled away. And that darkness covered the earth. Uh, and it didn't stay that way the rest of time, or we'd be living in darkness right now. It was a, a point that was made because when Jesus died on the cross and, and let out his last breath and said, into your hands I commend, I, commend, I commend my spirit or commit my spirit, what happened was the Holy of Holies, the big thick, four feet thick, the curtain was four feet thick, that much fabric, four feet thick curtain that separated the Holy, the holy of Holies from the holy place. It was torn from the top to the bottom meaning that God had to tear it. And he tore it to release the spirit from inside there to leave 
and he would no longer be there. And like Jesus promised when he was raised from the dead, that the Holy Spirit would now dwell inside of man. But I'm getting off into a different place right now. This right here is what opened the door for our salvation. This right here opened the door for Jesus' return to the earth because Jesus had to be raised from the dead and then to leave so he can come back and redeem all of mankind. And so in 2 Peter chapter 3, we're going to look at a verse right here. And it's talking about his return. It's talking about the things that have been warned about his return in the Bible and, and being mindful of them. And we're going to pick it up in verse 10. And we're only going to read one verse. And it says, from the Passion Translation, The day of the Lord will come and take everyone by surprise, as, as unexpected as a home invasion. The atmosphere will be set on fire. That means the around the earth, the atmosphere, the uh, different levels of the heavens. The atmosphere will be set on fire and vanish with a horrific roar, like a pop or like a like a, 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 an explosion, and the heavenly bodies will melt away as in a tremendous blaze. The earth and every activity of man will be laid bare. And this is the return of Jesus, because Jesus says in Matthew 24, as the lightning flashes from the east to the west, so shall it be when the Son of Man returns to the earth. And he'll send the four angels to the four corners of the earth to gather the elect before he pours out his wrath. And that'll be his return. Because he is going to be hands-on when his wrath is poured out. He's going to ride a white stallion, a white horse. And he's going to fly on that horse into the midst of human beings down here on the earth that are hateful, evil, destructive, that are left on the earth, that the only people that were removed from the earth were the people raptured in the church, the believers you know, that were still walking with Jesus. They got pulled off off the planet in an evacuation is the best thing you can call it. And so the rest are the people that are left that are idolaters, that are whoremongers, that are evil in their heart, that are pedophiles, that are you know, destructive, and the Antichrist and all of the demons that were sent to occupy people. So what we need to understand is that we are living at a time, in such a time that is close to his sudden appearance and his return. And like it says in Matthew 24, Jesus told people that no one knows the time of my return. I don't even know it, not even the angels of heaven, only my Father. And so we know that Jesus had to keep himself screened out because whatever Jesus knows, and Jesus even set this up this way in John chapter 16, Whatever Jesus has, the Holy Spirit's going to take that from Jesus and reveal it unto you. That's what Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 16. When the Spirit of truth comes, he's going to lead and guide you into all truth. He's going to take what is mine and reveal it to you. So Jesus couldn't even have it in his heart, the knowledge of when he's going to return, because that would have to be revealed to us. And so to keep that from happening, they worked out a plan to where God the Father kept it from him, and only God knows when he's going to send Jesus to retrieve the church. And so we look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 1. And we're going to read about 10 verses. And from the Passion Translation, 1 Thessalonians 5 is an end times uh, chapter. It's 
trying to prepare the church for the return of Jesus and give them a couple of things to think about as far as what events to look for and stuff like this. And it continues over into 2 Thessalonians if you want to read it yourself. Verse 1 of chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians. Now, beloved brothers and sisters, concerning the question of God's precise times and specific seasons, you didn't need me to write you anything, for you already know quite well that the day of the Lord will come unexpectedly and as a complete surprise. For while some are saying, finally, we have peace and security, sudden destruction will arrive at their doorstep, like labor pains seizing a pregnant woman and with no, with no chance of escape. Verse 4, But you, beloved brothers and sisters, are not living in the dark, allowing that day to creep up on you like a thief coming to steal. Are we? Are we living in the light and not living in the dark? Verse 5, For you are all children of the light and children of the day. We don't belong to the night nor darkness. I hope that's the case. This is why we must not fall asleep as the rest do, but keep wide awake and clear-headed. Verse 7, for those who are asleep, sleep, in the, sleep the night away, and drunkards get drunk at night. Verse 8, I mean verse 7, but since we belong to the day, we must stay alert and clear-headed by placing the breastplate of faith and love over our hearts and a helmet of hope and of salvation over our thoughts. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to possess salvation through our Lord Jesus, the anointing one. And so we're right there at the last verse, and I just you know lumped them all together. Right there at the last verse, God has not destined us for wrath, but to possess salvation through our Lord Jesus. He's moving us out of the way because he's got to pour out his wrath and destroy evil and put an end to evil and put an end to death, hell, and the grave. And he's got to split hell wide open with Satan and the Antichrist and so forth. But this is a time that we live in to where we're able to get ready, to gather ourselves together and to get ready because his return is imminent. It's coming. It's close. And it's like this. Jesus tells a story in Matthew chapter 24. Matthew 24, verses 45 to 51, he tells a parable, a story, a makeup story about when he goes away and when he leaves people in charge down here and what he expects them to do. And if they don't do it, what's going to happen to them? Are you ready? In verse 45, what would qualify a servant to manage his master's house? He would be a wise, ser ser he'd be a wise servant who is both faithful and dependable. The master would commission him to oversee others, for he would lead them well and give them food at the right time. What joy and blessing will come to that faithful servant when the master comes home to find him serving with excellence? Verse 47, For I can promise you the master will raise him up and put him in charge of all that he owns. Verse 48, But the evil servant says in his heart, My master delays his coming, and who knows when he's going to return. And because of the delay, the servant mistreats those in his master's house instead of caring for the ones he was appointed to serve. Other translations say he beat the servants. Keep that in mind. He beat the servants. Now, it doesn't mean with a stick. It doesn't mean with a whip. It meant mostly with words, you know, talking against them, 
putting your mouth on them, being judgmental, critical of them, um, uh, not being positive, but being negative towards them. Verse 48, but the evil servant says in his heart, my master delays his coming. That's where it comes from. Because Jesus hasn't given us a timeline, we can't really calculate it on a calendar. We just have to live right all the time. And so people get sloppy. They get loosey-goosey. They get, um, they get, you know, snarly a little bit because he hasn't come yet. When is he going to come? He might not ever come in our lifetime. And so, you know, let it, let it go. I mean, just let the good times roll. But you don't want to be caught thinking like that or acting like that. Verse 49, he abuses the other servants and begins to party with drunkards. Verse 50, let me tell you what will happen to him. His master will suddenly return unexpectedly, and he will remove the abusive, selfish servant from his position of trust and the master will cut him in two and assign him to the place of great sorrow and anguish along with all the other hypocrites. The master will cut him in two. You look that word up in the Greek language, it means to scourge him with a whip that has pieces of metal in it that will cut him open and put stripes on him. Don't we know something about Jesus taking upon his back stripes. And what did that stand for? That stood for people being healed. By his stripes you were healed, it says in the book of 1 Peter 2.24. By his stripes you were healed, it says in Matthew 8.17. By his stripes you were healed, it says in Isaiah 54.5. And so right here, because they beat with their mouth, with their, with their uh, tongue, you know, because... Life and death are in the power of the tongue. They cut them with the tongue and everything, which put them in position when the master comes back, Jesus is speaking about himself coming back. Their punishment is that it's wide open season for them to be plagued with the sicknesses and diseases that he took away from the human race, that he healed the human race of. And so, I mean, sure, people still die of those diseases today. You know, we have, a, we have a solid foundation to stand on and believe God for divine health and divine healing. You know, but he's just telling them and warning them, listen, because you've been mean and cruel, this is what's going to happen. When I return, the just punishment for you isn't that you're going to go to hell and lose your salvation because, no, you were part of the house. You were part of the, of the kingdom of God, but you did bad. But you're going to reap what you've sown, and God's going to let it happen. What you, what you sowed toward people, you know, what you plagued people with when you, taught, when you treated them bad, spoke bad about them, when you criticized them, when you condemned them, when you mocked them, when you laughed at them, when you bullied them, God's going to let that happen to you. Don't think you're going to get off this planet without being caught. Nobody gets off this planet without being caught. Nobody gets away with murder. They might get away with it on the courts, but nobody gets away with murder in God's kingdom and anything less that needs to be punished because God needs to balance the scales of justice, whereas mankind doesn't know how to do that. Mankind's system of justice has a couple of different tiers, one for the elite and one for the regular. 
and probably another one for the poor. It's got a, a bunch of different levels, which God had never would never sign off on. And so we would rather to have God be our judge than mankind be our judge. But when it comes to the tables being turned and God's going to be the judge, the people that thought that they got away with it are going to be rudely awakened because they don't expect to be judged because they got away with it. They don't expect to be judged because they are elite. They don't expect to be judged because we're better than them. They don't expect to be judged and punished because that little thing that they said in church that Jesus took all of our punishment. Ah, he did, didn't he? Ah, but were you walking with him when you were messing up and he left you in charge? He put you in charge of people and their souls and their lives and you did them no good. And you think that he's going to take that lying down. Not so. So, that leads us over to Luke 11. Luke 11, Jesus is going to tell us about how we need to be ready for anything. Ready for anything. And assume our position in the middle between God and heaven and mankind all around us. We're in the middle all the time. We don't have to show up in the morning and say, I'm here reporting for the middle. We don't need that. We're already in the middle. We got a mandate of reconciliation. We got a mandate that we're supposed to be part of the, of the kingdom of God that's restoring people to God. Luke chapter 11, verses 5 through 10. Then Jesus gave this illustration. Imagine what would happen if you were to go to one of your friends in the middle of the night, pound on his door and shout, please, do you have some food you can spare? Mm. See, that guy's in the middle. Watch what he says next. A friend just arrived at my house unexpectedly, and I have nothing to serve him. And so the unexpected put this guy on duty in the middle between God and man. Because he doesn't have anything, but he knows somebody who does, who he's a friend with. And so, even when you don't have anything, you don't have what it takes to help somebody in need. You really don't have it. I mean, sometimes you might. If it's money, you might find some money in your wallet. Uh, if it's encouragement, you might be hard-pressed to come up with some encouraging words because you are not that talkative or that, you know, optimistic or up uplifting. You, you're not a you're not a coach for a living. You know, you don't coach people and try to encourage them. And so all of a sudden you're thrust into a situation where, you know, what the person needs is to be encouraged, you know, because you don't know. You don't know that they already made their mind up to kill themselves in a couple of minutes after you get done walking past them. And so you don't have any idea about that. You know, but all of a sudden, God will put that on your heart and you need to take a hold of what God can give you to go and give Him. Because people that cross your path in life, God put them there. I'm going to say that one more time. People that cross your path in life, God put them there. Maybe just for a moment. Maybe for almost half a lifetime. 
and anything in between. Maybe they're good and they've always helped you. Maybe they're hard to deal with and they've always rubbed you the wrong way. God put them there. He put the one that rubs you the wrong way there so that you'll get turned around the right way. Hmm. Or he put them there like sandpaper to sand off all the rough edges on you. Hmm. And so we got to be looking at life more than coincidental. That we have a purpose here. We have assignments. We have jobs that God has given us. We don't have to have a desk and an office and a title. We don't have to be pastor this or doctor that. Because we got in every individual that names the name of Jesus as Lord and Savior, we got everything that you'll ever need for anybody. All you got, all you got to do is go to Him. You go to Him for Him. I mean, excuse me, you go to Him you know, for yourself all the time. Why wouldn't you go to Him for them, for Him who came knocking on your door, or for her that came pounding on your door? Why wouldn't you go to him for them? And so Jesus says, a friend. And so there's a relationship there. There's a friend. This guy is his friend. He arrived at his house unexpectedly, but I have nothing to serve him. And so where did this start at in verse 5? Then Jesus gave this illustration. Imagine what would happen if you were to go to one of your friends in the middle of the night and pound on his door and shout, please, you have some food you can spare. Isn't that interesting? The middle of the night. Why would it say that right there? Because it's talking about in the middle of two friends. In the middle of two friends. One, you're pounding on the door. The other, he came pounding on your door. And you're in the middle. And a friend of mine just arrived at my house unexpectedly. and have nothing to serve him. But your friend says, why are you bothering me? Now, God would never say that, but he's making it so they can relate to it. But your friend says, why are you bothering me? The door is locked and my family and I are in bed. Do you expect, do you expect, do you expect me to get up and give you our food? And then Jesus says, I tell you, because of your shameless persistence, even though it's in the middle of the night, your friend will get out of his bed and give you all that you need. What? How'd that happen? Your shameless persistence means you stayed there, you stayed there, you stayed there, you stayed there, you stayed there until you got what you needed for the other person. And so when this guy, this is a guy in a parable that Jesus is making up, it's a story made up, and you pound on his door, and he answers and says, why are you bothering me? And I told you, when I got to that, that wouldn't be God. God wouldn't ever say that to you. But he's using human illustrations that they can relate to. And he says, why are you bothering me? The door is locked. My family and I are in bed. Do you expect me to get up? Oh, wait a minute. Is there a play on words happening here? Ah, you better expect that. Because a friend just arrived at my house unexpectedly in verse 6. And then the guy that plays the role of 
having the, the plenty, having enough to spare. And he's in bed and asking, why are you bothering me? My door is locked. My family and I are in bed. Do you expect me? Yes, I expect you. Yes, I expect you. And so right in the middle of being surprised by the guy traveling, didn't announce he's going to come, and unexpectedly he comes and he needs some food to eat, you go to a friend who has plenty, and he says, do you expect me to come down there? you expect me to get up out of my bed, put my feet on the cold floor and come down there? Yes, that's the whole key here. Jesus says, I tell you, because of your shameless persistence, that means you didn't leave. That means the guy didn't go. He's still down there pounding on the door. He's still down there pounding on the door. He's still down there hammering on the door. Because that's what expectation does. Expectation does that. When you get caught off guard and something unexpected hits you, turn toward God, expecting to get what you need to handle the unexpected. Mm, didn't you hear that? Listen, this is, this is not a formula that needs to be like calculus. This is a relationship that we have with Jesus. When we get hit with the unexpected in our life, even if it's a, a similar thing to this, somebody came to you and needs help, and you don't have the money right now, but you know somebody who has more money than you do. Everybody does. Everybody knows somebody like that. You go pound on his door until he gives you some money to give to this guy. And then everything gets leveled out. And he's using this as an example because in the culture of, of, of the tribes of Israel in Palestinian times, they had a sense of hospitality that was off the charts. It's a capital crime not to take a stranger in. A stranger, how much less a friend you know, would be uh, allowed. No, you take your friends in. When they're crossing the desert, a stranger, and he knocks on your door in the middle of the night, you give him shelter, you give him water for his camel, you give him, you know, a place to lay his head and stuff. It's expected. It's expected culturally. And so he's talking to us now in the 21st century over here in America, in the Western world, and it's not so much expected, is it? You know, but we need to take it and find an application for it, and this is the application. When the unexpected pounds on your door, unexpected hits you in the side of your car, unexpected comes out of the doctor's report, unexpected comes out in the economy collapsing and you losing your job. Unexpected happening to where um, this illness hits your family member. Unexpected, you turn with expectation toward him who has the full supply for everybody. And by your persistence, you're not going to be turned away. And we don't have to pound on the door like this guy. He pounded and pounded because God isn't like the guy in the room. God doesn't have a bunch of people in his bed and he doesn't want to get his feet on the floor. Get that, get that out of your mind right now. Even though this is a guy that's a, com a comparison or a metaphor for God, don't take it detail for detail for God. God does not have a cranky side or a cranky bone in his body. So I tell you, because of your shameless persistence, even though it's in the middle of the night, your friend will get up out of bed and give you all that you need. So it is with your prayers. Ask and you'll receive. Seek and you'll discover. Knock on heaven's door and it will open for you. Every persistent person 
will receive what he asks for. Every persistent seeker will discover what he needs, and everyone who knocks persistently will find an open door in heaven for their needs to be met. And so no worries. We have a lot of unexpected things happening, a lot more unexpected on the way. And when it hits and you don't seem to have enough to handle it, you don't seem to have enough to navigate through it, it didn't really hit you you know, to where it makes you have to get some concrete help or some tangible help. It just hits you sideways this Sunday in your psyche. You feel uncomfortable about it. You feel unease about it. You feel insecure about it because the country you once knew is taken away little by little, increment by increment, and now you're left with this ragtag-looking country with stupid laws that stupid people are passing left and right. And these things that are happening in this country where where they're celebrating corruption, they're celebrating perversion, they're celebrating evil in this country, and that's unexpected. I mean, you could count back 20 years ago, and none of that was legal, right, in this country right now. And this country sets the barometer for the rest of the world. When this country started accepting things, all the rest of the world, except for Russia and Uganda and a couple of places like that, they shut the doors to that. They didn't go along with that. God bless them for that. But what I'm talking about currently in this world, this unexpected thing in the atmosphere, no worries. We can navigate it because we can go to God expecting because that's what the character that played God in this little play right here of Jesus, that's what he said to the guy pounding on the door. Do you expect me to get up in the middle of the night? Do you expect me to get up when my kids and my wife and all are in bed? Do you expect, heck, yes, I do, or heaven, yes, I do. I expect you to get up and get me what I need for the friend that's knocking on my door. And so that's how Jesus made us understand a little bit more about God's character, not the part of him having a wife and having kids. He wants it to relate to humanity and knowing that if this will work on a human being, that the fallen creature that's in his house with his wife and his kids and his babies in bed, and he doesn't want the pounding on the door any longer, even he gets up. How much more quicker will God give up, get up, excuse me, get up because he loves you, because he's waiting for you to call on him because he wants you to expect him to help you in the name of his son, Jesus. And that's all I have to say about that. Thank you guys for listening in. And until next time, have a great time. Love y'all.